Previously on Giga Deming Pause. As long as you care about the characters, it doesn't matter if they're going to get coffee or if they're going to save the princess. You know, I mean, it's really, those are just details. You know, it's all about our uh, human connection to characters that may or may not even be human. You know, which is a cool part of the native stories is that you've got these animals that have some kind of human characteristics, but at the same time, they are animals and they're spirits too. And it gives it this very otherworldly feel um, that works really well being adapted into comic books, uh, which we found out, which is cool. Today on Geekdeming Powers. It's like, how do we navigate like the best way to do these things and i think we navigate it too by by realizing that um we have to always be accepting correction you know and doing our our, our doing our best to sort of represent um or to doing our best to replicate sort of the process of our ancestors which is telling stories in community telling stories um that we all kind of have a hand in 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 creating you know and um and, and kind of like flipping that into our artistic process. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back. My name is Guy Hasson, and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of all the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Today our guest is Melissa Shaginoff. I found her through an advisory role and intro she wrote for Dimmies and Casey's uh, comic book studios. Uh, they were a guest from episode 34. She is a curator, an artist, and, as you'll hear, an archaeologist, which is not the right word for it, of uh, indigenous culture, including her own. That explanation is hardly sufficient. She is a fascinating guest and she'll talk about the origin of indigenous stories, about her advisory role in comics, about curation, about the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, and so much more. Uh, specifically, by the way, I can tell you, we got to talk about stuff that I usually don't get to talk about. So, like, like if I write about uh, a person who comes from one of the tribes. Uh, how do I do that? Uh, without anyone feeling that I've taken away the culture. Or uh, the way she talks about how stories are created, which, by the way, is fascinating. A completely different approach from the Western approach, the European and currently, like, American approach. And, uh, uh, and again, specifically that touched on uh, my stuff. Uh, I'm the guy who goes against the grain. I'm not the one who does what everybody does. And I'm the one who pokes the finger in the eyes of the people who tell, who tell us how things should be done. That's historically what I've been doing. And how is that? Could I have, if I'd been born into an indigenous tribe now or in the past, how would that have been? And, you know, those are the things that uh, specifically uh, touched me. Not to mention that the things she talks about 
and about uh, indigenous artists and indigenous culture are things that are that were basically dying, literally dying, and it is important to bring those things to light and to not let them die, not let the people die either. Um, more importantly, of course. So back to the interview. It is an amazing conversation, and I feel I've done it a little justice in my short description before, in yammering on about what I found uh, super interesting for me. I think the only way to do it justice is to listen to her talk. So let's listen to Melissa Shadinov. So I first came across you uh, watching Casey and Demi, who guests on the show, uh, through their Instagram, showing, seeing your name in Wintermood. Uh, and the children consulted there and uh, wrote the intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what you did there and about the collective? Yeah, so um, I'm in a collective called Luke Tetsa or Fishhead Soup Comics uh, with Nathan Schaefer, the author of Wintermoot, Richard Perry, uh, Demi Macheris, and Casey Silver. Uh, Demi, who is my cousin, actually. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're we're distant cousins um, from Yani Da'a or Chikulun Village, or not Yani Da'a, excuse me, through um, from uh, Night Dinyana uh, Kayak, which is Chikulun Village. So um, I became first acquainted with the group um, through Nathan. We had done a project back when I was still in college um, when he was doing some augmented reality stuff. Um, and I had done some like a beading story that I illustrated and put into Atna, uh, into, into my language. And uh, yeah, so I, I kind of came into the collective as sort of a cultural consultant. So in some ways I would look at the text that had been created and and I would, from like an indigenous lens, um, you know, kind of critique, but then also pull out certain aspects that um, I thought could go deeper and could be, you know, better explained, um, or there could be some indigenous language embedded within those things. Um, so Nathan really pulled me in. And then uh, soon after that, um, or maybe around the same time, Demi was brought into the group who, who we, were, we were cousins, but also I hadn't seen him since I was like 12 years old because <laughs> he had moved to Seattle um, while I stayed in Alaska. And uh, yeah, so we were able to reconnect as, as family as well. And um, yeah, so in, in many ways, I, I kind of consult um, is sort of like this, this like next lens, you know, of, of authorship and editing, um, I would say within, within their scripts and the work that they're doing um, within the comics. And when we talked before, you talked about how storytelling is a different uh, kind of thing, is a communal thing. So what's the difference between, you know, the way folklore is told in other places and this kind of uh, folklore? Yeah, so uh, so Demi and I are from Nyatdinyana Kayak, from um, Chikulun Village. Uh, it, it translates to the log over the river, Nyatdinyana. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're we're from uh, an indigenous place, you know, from an Atna place, and uh, I think that a part of what makes kind of our group special and the way that we sort of 
author and write things is that we do it in this um, kind of group capacity. You know, of course, you know, Demi and Casey are working on something. Richard is working on something individually. Nathan's working on something individually. And so am I. But together, we sort of, you know, kind of build a world um, in this community. You know, the authorship is not just lies with one person. It lies with, you know, several people looking at it and doing our best to represent, you know, kind of this indigenous perspective, you know, which which doesn't come from one person. You know, it comes from kind of like the way of, you know, being being uh, being a community um, and and telling a story from from that perspective of, you know, that the best answer, that the best direction is is done and agreed upon together. Um, there's also kind of this aspect to uh, that Demi and I are aware of um, of Yani Da'a, which is which means ancient stories. And, you know, a big part of uh, indigenous belief system and, you know, um, connection to place uh, involves involves this sort of like um, um, reciprocal and holistic way of being, which, you know, in, in order to like survive in, in a place like Alaska that is such a harsh environment, you have to be you know, very connected to the land, to the animals, you know, to the waters, and you have to know how to be that good person. And, you know, part of our spiritual belief in Alaska is that, you know, you only survive if you are that good person, because the animals, the plants, the fish, the water, you know, they all, they know, they know who you are. They know if you are a good person. And if you're that good person, if you're, if you're doing your best to lead, lead, to lead your life in the best way, they'll gift themselves to you and they come to you in that way. And Yanni Da'a stories, which means, you know, ancient stories, um, is kind of like this, like, uh, set of instructions, you know, they'll, they're kind of like kind of scary lesson stories for children, but in so many ways, they're like the, the building blocks of life, right? Uh, because they teach you, you know, you know, what's the right thing to do and what is in gi, what is taboo. And, um, you know, learning those stories, you, you learn what it means to be a good person, uh, where we're from, you know, in, in night Dinyana. So unlike the folk tales that I know, for example, from Jewish folk tales, Arab folk tales, European folk tales, where they're usually written by one person, uh, two people, or whatever, uh, and then given to everyone else. The reason you write a community is because of the awareness that stories teach how to behave. And mm -hmm. so everyone together basically needs to teach those lessons and agree that the stories are good. Uh, and then the stories are told to the young people. To, to the kids and yeah yeah well it, and there's also kind of this um you know kind of these this sacredness too right because it's it's something that's owned by everybody right so it's something that you you tell that story um because it's it's going to teach that person you know that young person that you care about you know how to be a successful person it's going to teach them you know how to be that kind of person that the moose, that the caribou, that the fish will give themselves to, right? Because we believe that those animals, like they know your soul, they know if you're that good person, and they'll only decide to give themselves to you if you are kind of living that way, right? So it's it's so much um, kind of based in, in sort of care for community and care for each other, you know? Um, 
so much of our culture is 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 frame has that framework of of survival and allegiance and and really kind of putting the community first right um I heard a story once that you know if if your your brother or your opposite clan member you know the not necessarily your family but like the the marrying clan the clan that you're supposed to be in allegiance with mm -hmm. if your your opposite clan member was uh was drowning that you'd have to save your clan member and not your brother and you do that because you you need to be thinking about the future generations and thinking about you know how it is that your your group your clan is going to survive and it's only through this interdependence with each other mm. sorry i hope that wasn't too off off topic but i no, think that kind of there is no off topic here this is because <laughs> i i want to i wanted to bring is to bring your point of view and your life uh to people can, can i ask like a very uh selfish question about what you just said because it sure. sounds good. It sounds it's great. It's a great approach. I can see it. And uh, um, my kids go to a school where the approach is more uh, holistic. And I can see how people are different when that is their approach rather than, you know, mm -hmm. everyone for himself. But personally, like as an artist, like <laughs> my own personal path is I'm the guy who puts a finger in in, in the eye of people who say it's supposed to be like this. I do it mm -hmm. for the benefit of everyone because I think we should think either outside the box or think about stuff uh, that people don't think about. But was there room for people who say uh, rules should be broken uh, and use art to tell that story, to, tell, to give that approach? Yeah, you know, I think that... Um... You know, this is getting like very kind of traditional, but I would say that, that you know, whenever there was a dispute, like in our communities, um, and, and not saying that it's exactly this way anymore, you know, I think that there, in some ways, it's still kind of like in this spirit, but if there's a dispute or you have, have something that needs to change, it's like during during our like gatherings, our our, our ceremonies, maybe our potlatch, you know, um, you would you would bring up that dispute and you would uh, publicly um, discuss it, you know, you would publicly confront it, you know, so there is kind of like this sort of um, community kind of like think, you know, that you're always thinking about the community and what it is that, you know, is the best way to be and all those things. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't space for um, for challenging those things, mm. you know, or if some if you felt like somebody had had wronged you or offended you, you know, those things could be resolved, but they would be resolved within community. You know, and it'd usually be like elders and leaders who would say, well, you guys need to resolve this and you need a potlatch, you need to gift and, you know, do these things um, mm. in order to resolve the issue, you know, um, and you you do it in this public way. So much of 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 our culture, you know, and our um, I would say like our framework of our societies was that things had to be done in a public way. You know, it's like when when. Um, you know, when you acknowledge somebody at ceremony, you'd always acknowledge them publicly, you know, because you're you're creating this kind of this um, 
more reciprocal system. You know, if somebody is working really hard and they're doing good work, then they'll be recognized, you know, by those elders, you know, in during ceremonies, you know, and if and if and we believe too that like to be like a wealthy person, it wasn't really necessarily about material possessions. It was your ability to care for other people, your ability to kind of, you know, um, make sure people had what they needed, you know? So we also don't really necessarily like um, believe in kind of like, and, I, and I'd say that this can be abstracted into, you know, this kind of like uh, single authorship, right? Whereas like you get, as an artist, you get like a lot of credit individually for things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, while that might be something that um, is appealing to people, that if you're if you're kind of working in this indigenous way, you know that that really you you're recognizing every person who's contributed to it. You know, and this is kind of like the way I think about art too, and why I think indigenous art is really kind of like the most pure form of creation, because I think indigenous people create you know, not necessarily for the individual recognition as they do. They create these these amazing, beautiful things to recognize who their teachers were, to pass on something that someone taught them and to be reaching their level. You know, it's like this This goes for parka making, this goes for, goes for moose hide tanning, this goes for, you know, being a hunter. It's like you're always kind of um, recognizing people who brought you to that place you know, to brought you to that level of success. Like when somebody gets their first, you know, for example, their first moose, you know, or their first animal, they give that whole thing to an elder in the community, thanking them for bringing them to that spot, you know, and when we first make something, you know, whether it's a a beaded necklace, you know, or it's a, I look at it today, it's a painting, you know, or something that I've done that part of like my job is to recognize who brought me either to that idea or to that skill and to give them that first thing that I made. So I, I, I don't know if that's, if that quite answers your question, but. It did. And, and, okay. and that's something. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, so let's go back a little bit. Like what is your origin story? Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm uh, I'm Yudishu and uh, Koyakara Atlan, so I'm Caribou and Fish Eater Clan um, from Nightingana uh, or Chicklin Village, and uh, I'm an artist and uh, a curator, and uh, I I'd like to say like a communicator. Um, uh, I do a lot of social practice kind of artworks, so I do things that kind of intersect between conversation and understanding and physical making. So um, I've always I've always kind of made things, you know, in a group, in a community, kind of like within this sort of sewing circle mentality that you have a lot of conversation and a lot of sort of deep understanding when you create things together, you know, so I've done mural projects, beading projects, sewing projects, some hide tanning projects, but I've done them in community, you know, and I think that a big part of my art practice has fallen, you know, into that sort of category because because I'm really fed by people and fed by um, trying to work on this sort of deeper understanding of each other. Um, and 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 that's really kind of what my form of like decolonization looks like, which is, you know, removing sort of the barriers that separate us um, and kind of getting into sort of this deep understanding of 
of each other's context and you know who we are so uh, i guess in some ways it's kind of this mix between performance and process you know of of kind of having these moments with people um and that really being my artwork i uh, you know i i i've i grew up kind of painting and drawing and uh but it never really quite felt right to be sharing those things or to present them as my artwork. Those things were more kind of like the things I did for myself. And so today, like I'd say that my 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 work is, is a lot about process and sort of community um, connection with people. And, uh, and, and that kind of like feeds into sort of my role with Luque Tetsas, which is, you know, really kind of being this person who helps communicate culture you know, through Nathan's stories, through Richard's stories, through Demi and Casey's stories, you know, that they're creating, you know, as, as, as artists, as writers, you know, um, and uh, just helping kind of like move it to another, another level, you know, because I've spent like a lot of my career working in museums, working in collections and doing really like a lifelong research on, um, on my indigenous culture and understanding it on a, on a deeper level. Um, I, I first started doing, um, work within museums back when I was in college and, uh, I got the opportunity to travel to, um, the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, DC. And, uh, not, I, I felt very kind of like out of place in that, in that sort of position. Cause I was amongst all these museum professionals and being invited in to look at this collection and, really feeling like uh, like an outsider, you know, in that space. Um, but once I was there and I was able to touch those things and those objects, it really kind of, um, you know, pushed me into this, this place of use, looking at museums and collections as sort of my library and using those things as a way to sort of reverse engineer how I learned about my culture. You know, there's... Um, like most indigenous cultures, you know, we've experienced so much um, assimilation and colonization and, and really kind of like a, a settler colonialism in Alaska that uh, it, it makes it very difficult to um, at times get at sort of the deeper parts of your culture. And in uh, so many ways, um, every all the knowledge I have and that I've gained has been through this kind of reverse engineering, um, looking at the museum objects and then discover, you know, being being, you know, inspired by them, but then also needing to sort of pull back and see exactly what the materials were, you know, to see exactly how those materials were processed, to see exactly where those materials came from. And then finally, you know, what does it mean for um, a person to be harvesting the, those things? Um, for example, I, I, while I was at that collections, I, I found these like beautiful little, um, little beads that were just labeled as organic material. And I, I was so interested in what they were, you know, and, and I couldn't figure them out. You know, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't recognize them. Um, so I did all this kind of research within the museum and, you know, found out that they were called, you know, silverberries, right? And then I was doing all this language research, you know, and finding out that they were called, you know, uh, Dimba, my language, you know, which meant that they were, you know, related to kind of like, like milk, you know, or, or like, uh, like this um, willow tree, right? And then from there, I started like searching on the land, like, like where... Milk and willow tree? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were like, yeah, they're uh, the silver berries. They, they, um, yeah. So, uh, and then kind of getting to like this point of, I, I needed to go out on the land and try to find where these where these plants were, right? And really looking for them, you know, and testing a lot of different sort of um, berries to see if I could find the right pit to turn them into beads. And then finally, you know, finding the right um, the right tree, which was this wolf willow tree, silverberry tree, um, that was this beautiful white silver color, you know, and kind of using all of that to find, to figure out kind of how to start processing them and, yeah, so I don't know if that quite is a it's, good description. It's archaeology into culture, basically. Like, it's it's so much has been lost. Yeah. There's so much death. Most of the people died, and then there was assimilation, and uh, and basically what you're doing is 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 architecture on on uh, on a community on uh, on on a culture. Yeah, you know, I think that it's. Um... I think that uh, many people don't realize that indigenous people, particularly in North America, and you know, I'll, I'll speak for you know, at least myself in Alaska. You know, we're not born with our knowledge of our culture. That it, it is truly like this hard won, hard fought thing. Is that you really have to, you know, do the research and the work to understand these things. Right and to and to become to become the sort of student of of your culture, you know, because uh, I think that I think that uh, you know settler colonialism is working, you know, as expected, meaning that it's you know continually trying to suppress you know indigenous ways of being and indigenous sort of cultures and. So a big part of like what I do, particularly within Tlukate Set Sauce, is is try to share everything that I've personally learned about, you know, within about our culture, you know, with Demi, so he can embed that information into his stories, you know, with Casey, and then they can, you know, um, even start to create new stories from those things, right? because it's it's a you know assimilative practices makes it really difficult for particularly with language particularly for elders you know to feel comfortable sharing about our culture you know and uh, I I think that that kind of like frames around the way that I the way that I work you know which is like a lot of kind of um, deep research you know into identity um, and now you know today it's like I do uh, a lot of work um, involving curation and how institutions and, uver- and museums and u- universities you know work with indigenous people in order to tell you know the most authentic and and really kind of like the most um, the most the most indigenous you know uh, way of telling those narratives and. Uh, the way I do that is is to always work with representation. You know, it's like we are we are the the experts on ourselves. You know, so every project that I do, every sort of project that you know, if it doesn't involve my Atna culture, if it involves an Inupiat culture, you know, or an Alutic culture, or Supiat culture, or Yupik culture, is that I work specifically, you know, with those communities in order to tell their own story. 
you know, and I think that uh, within institutions, within museums and universities, sometimes it's really difficult to even even um, even sort of uh, describe this back to them as like why it is uh, telling this like from a most authentic you know place is is valuable because I think that if we are trying to expand our audience and to make these things relevant to native people, then they need to be told by native people because then they're going to come from an authentic place. And I think that's really kind of the um, sort of uh, perspective of Fluke et Sauce, you know, is that, that everything that is told within that space, you know, all the works that we're working on, um, that they have to be told from each individual culture. So if, if a Tlingit person is going to, a Tlingit carrier is going to, or character is going to show up in Demi and Casey's, you know, story, then we're going to have a Tlingit consultant, you know, you know, talking about that and um, representing that. Sorry, I feel like a little bit scattered. This <laughs> is a little bit, a little bit late for me. <laughs> not, first of all, not at all. Uh, okay. <laughs> It's 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 a lot more cohesive than I thought it would be actually. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, um, I mean, I could talk a little bit. Uh, I I also run a museum sovereignty group um, out of Alaska that is uh, working with. So I I do I do a lot of work with several collectives, <laughs> and I think that that's probably kind of the best way to describe a lot of the work that I do, which is within groups, you know, and. Um, uh, one sort of project I'm working on is this museum sovereignty group um, I'm working on with uh, Nadia Jahensky Sethi, uh, who is an art historian, a, a Lutic art historian. And um, we are organizing uh, a group of museum professionals, Alaska Native, you know, indigenous museum professionals, um, to really kind of write a text and to develop some protocols um, for universities and museums to work with indigenous people. Um, and uh, I think also to kind of change the way curation happens because in so many museums and so many institutions, um, particularly in Alaska, a huge percent of, of their content and their collection belongs to indigenous people. So that means care for collections needs to come from an indigenous knowledge base. That means that, you know, label copy and everything that's written about our objects needs to come from an indigenous place. And, and that sort of thing, um, that shift has to happen. And I think that uh, museums don't always um, connect with the communities that they need to because it's extra work. And in some ways, it's um, um, the whole sort of structure of of the museum is is not is to sort of be the be the um, the most academic best voice to represent these things, but that's you know um, drastically shifting uh, quickly. Do you feel this brings a change? Like, and in, in a change, I assume you are doing this uh, just to 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 be able to communicate with uh, non-native people but what you're saying is that this is also a great way to communicate with native people about the history and the past and identity uh, do you feel a change through stories 
Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, I think that um, a big part of our goal within Fluket Set Sauce is to bring these stories to Indigenous people and to Indigenous youth and Indigenous people. And I think that um, part of part of why we work the way we do is because we want to give the best and most accurate representation of that. You know, and I think that that there is there is a drastic shift in in sort of the expectation of just our society in general, you know, that these stories can't be told without us anymore. You know, it's like that there's that it's some some way just having us in existence, having having Demi and myself, you know, that there's a that a non-native person can't tell an Atna story, you know, without Atna people. You know, because all of a sudden here we are creating Atna stories. You right. know, this this wasn't the way it was. Basically, till very recently, it was just white people telling whatever stories they wanted about you know everyone. Exactly. Um, and but also, it's not from what you say. It's not something that says you know, no non-indigenous people here. Casey is an indigenous. Who works with Dimi, who is. Yep. together they make a great team like they feel like one person when uh, yeah when they write um mm -hmm. so you're saying walk with is okay as, you know but there has to be someone involved there who makes sure this is the right way to tell the story yeah i'd say to a certain extent i mean i mean nathan is not an indigenous person right yeah. but he's telling um he has he's telling these stories with denina characters you know and so he is the way that he's kind of approaching that I, I don't want to talk too much about his work but he's involved me in the work that he's doing right involved me as kind of like this shell you know as someone who has denina you know heritage you know, to to be looking over and making sure that what's represented is coming from an authentic place and coming from a sincere place. You know, um, I also think, too, that uh, that native people, um, particularly like indigenous creators, you know, that we have our own sets of sort of values of of how it is that we assess working with somebody. You know, and that uh, you know that there has to be this more communal sharing of of how it is that we we move through the creative process, right? Demi and Casey have this like long relationship. You know, they've been working together for so long that they they know each other and they understand kind of you know what are the sort of boundaries within um, you know telling these stories. And I would say that like my relationship with Nathan is very similar. You know, is that he understands that when he's talking about indigenous things or indigenous perspective in his stories that it has to come from um, an indigenous place, an indigenous person, right? And it has to be in some ways assessed and permission has to be given, you know? And, and, and of course, you know, I'm not corrected everything, right? I'm not the, I'm not the, the person who represents every culture. But I, I will say, though, that uh, when we're telling stories, particularly when we're creating stories, is that we just have to move forward doing our best, you know, and, and doing our best in, in sharing credit and sharing recognition. Um, and, I, and I'll say that, uh, that, that it isn't just sort of a black and white thing, right? That it, it happens through relationship building. You know, um, I wouldn't be part of this collective um, 
if Nathan hadn't done the work to be a good um, relative to me, you know, to be a good collaborator with me, you know, that, that, that it is a part of um, building of trust and um, essentially kind of this kinship, you know, because creating and particularly, um, you know, creating from this place that is representing uh, a culture and um, specific identities of these characters, uh, that there has to be sort of a carefulness and a, and a care taken. Um, and, uh, and I'd say that, you know, at least within our collective, we, we, do, we do that um, with a lot of care and a lot of like thought and how we do that. Thank you very much for this. I think you've given a lot of both new information and perspective to the people listening and to creators maybe a way to approach how to tell stories, uh, even if they're not from that culture. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about that we didn't cover? Um, I think I'd like to expand maybe a little bit about uh, cultural appropriation. If sure. that's okay. yeah. um, you know, because I, I think like sort of um, what comes up to when when sort of indigenous stories are wanting to be told or indigenous cultures are wanting to be represented, you know, in comics, in movies, in artworks um, that they, you know, what 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 comes up is, you know, is this cultural appropriation, right? Or is this cultural appreciation, you know, and, you know, what, what are the, what are the boundaries of those things? And for me, um, I think that every instance needs to be measured on the relationship that that person who um, is cultural, who, who is representing a culture that's not their own, the effort and the relationships that they have built with the culture um, which they're trying to represent, right? And there's so much nuance involved in that, right? So representing a culture that's not your own, you have to think about what sort of capital you are receiving for that. You have to think about not only not only like monetary capital, but social capital. You know, it's like what sort of spaces are you operating in? And, and when you're thinking about representing something, you know, it, it's important to have like collaborators, but again, I have to say that I don't represent all Atna people, you know, and culture doesn't belong to one person. So representing an Atna culture as, as a not an Atna person, you know, then there, there becomes a sort of gray area and, and it can be a problem, you know, because if you're representing a part of Atna culture, you know, and you are getting recognition for it and you're getting this story out there, in many ways, you could be making it more difficult for an Atna person to do the same thing when they're representing themselves mm -hmm. because you're, you're, you're distancing sort of the um, reality and you're also cherry picking, you know, parts of culture that's interesting to you um, without really understanding what the context is of living within that culture, living within that body, living within sort of that experience, you know? So in some ways you're never able to tell the full story. And, and that's not, you know, that's just, that's just the reality of it, you know? So I think that, um, you know, when we're looking at these things, you know, looking at our, our, our collective, Luke Tetsas, looking at the, looking at Demi and Casey as, as a partnership, you know, that there has, there's a lot of sort of carefulness that we go through, you know, um, in creating our stories and, and creating these things. Um, and also kind of this, uh, 
understanding too that we're always going to be changing and shifting and adjusting just like culture and tradition is a fluid concept you know um, we also need to be constantly assessing if we're doing the right thing constantly assessing what are the effects of the stories that we're telling and that goes for artworks that goes for exhibitions you know as a curator that goes for you know any 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 aspect of representing a culture um, you know whether it is your own and, and particularly if it's not your own you know and uh, yeah so I just think that that's that's an important aspect because you know there's a lot of a lot of sort of um, liberties that can be that have been taken in the past you know particularly representing indigenous people of, of North America you know and uh, I think that um, the more we see people like Richard, Demi and myself telling our own stories, you know, the, the closer we're getting to um, experiences that come from from the context of, of an indigenous person, you know, and uh, the more that we're going to see um, other young indigenous people and indigenous communities absorbing that work because it represents themselves. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming and for talking to me, uh, to us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for asking me. You know, I, I hope it, I hope it was, was a, a good, <laughs> I hope it was geeky enough. <laughs> I think, I think it's important and it's, it, it actually was because it's also about how to storytell. It's about mm -hmm. the origin of comics that exist. But it's also important, you know, it's an important period and people can uh, put it in context of what they would do if they created something or how to read something that's written about, um, you know, indigenous people. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's very important. I also think we don't talk about that enough and we should. So if I can help in that, uh, I'm very happy. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you, you know, letting me kind of kind of go off on a tangent there. But but I mean, I think that it's something you had kind of reiterated is that, you know, things are changing so rapidly and and so um, just like so visibly, you know, very, very quickly that it's it's like, how do we navigate like the best way to do these things? And I think we navigate it, too, by by realizing that um, we have to always be accepting correction, you know, and doing our, our, our doing our best to sort of represent um, or to doing our best to replicate sort of the process of our ancestors, which is telling stories in community, telling stories um, that we all kind of have a hand in, in, in creating, you know, and, um, and, and kind of like flipping that into our artistic process. So yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much to Melissa. I hope you enjoyed that and that it gave you as much food for thought as it gave me. You can find Melissa at her website, www.melissa2s.shaginoff.com. Now, next time, we will be talking to a guest that is on the cross-section between cosplay and fashion. See you there. What do you think about this episode? Email me, guy.hasson at geekdomimpulse.com. Hasson is spelled H-A-S-S-O-N. On Twitter, 
Instagram, TikTok. We are at Geekdom in Pals. We're also on YouTube. So search just for Geekdom in Pals. Uploading new episodes every week because we're catching up. By the way, wait till this episode comes out. Super cool to watch it as well. Our website is at geekdominpals.com. If you are in the mood, check out my other podcast, the Squash Buckler Diaries podcast. That's a type of fantasy you've never seen before, so check that out, the Squash Buckler Diaries podcast. I will see you next time, and for now, have an empowered day.